Welcome to another episode of the Heron Outlet. I'm Ian Hest alongside Austin Robillard and Alex Winley. And uh, what a week ahead, what a week it has been for Inter-Miami and for soccer around South Florida and around the United States and around the globe. We'll get to it all. Uh, Happy to be with you for another episode. And guys, let's dive right into it. Let's waste no time. Really starting with the Orlando City game, a 2-1 loss that Inter-Miami suffers uh, with a massive wonder goal from Nani that really uh, put a dagger in Inter-Miami's hopes for a win They came into the match 2-2 in the four previous matches against their rivals, Orlando City. Both times winning by one goal, both times losing by one goal. This being sort of the rubber match so far in the city, or in the series. They lose 2-1 and now fall to 2-2-6 in the campaign. They are at eight points Stuck for 12th in the Eastern Conference, a negative seven goal differential, and a a really uh, another instance where they had the win and it was stripped from them. No one has lost more points in the final 20 minutes of a match than Inter Miami this season in the MLS campaign. Uh, So let's start there, guys. What's going on late in games? Once they grab the lead, once they start feeling like they're in control, why is it not able to really have uh, the the victory in grasp, the control of the game, the the feeling that, okay, this is a team that is playing with one of the best teams in the league in Orlando, mind you, whether you like that or not, that has played, for all that you want to say, they've beaten a lot of the bad teams. But for all of that, they've still been one of the best teams in the league. And Inter-Miami had that team on the run for really the first hour of that game and couldn't finish the job. Austin, what what am I missing here, man? Well, I think that I want to stick specifically to this game and not necessarily the season as a whole and losing late leads because I think that this one is a little different than other ones and it didn't have to do so much with mental lapses but it had to do with for me I would say tired legs and I know that that is kind of a crappy excuse but the high line in the press that I saw for those first let's say 60 minutes before the substitutions happened definitely in the first 45 I mean they were going all out Jay Chapman Carranza Morgan Shea putting in work uh, Figo and LGP were like mostly up past the halfway line when they were in possession at all times they were enforcing this high line trying to get the press in and they were doing a really good job at it and that's why you know this game was nil nil in a deadlock despite the differences in quality that we've seen from the two teams so far this season Miami did a really good job at containing Orlando and also not letting them on the ball too much in the first half and then also disrupting a lot of their passages of play with the press and energy that they had. So I think that it's not realistic and it's not practical to say that a team can enforce that kind of style for 90 minutes throughout a match. It's just not possible. And from how they scored the goals through Nani, yes, it was two moments of absolute brilliance, as as Phil Neville quoted and said. 
But for me, it had to do with mostly the tired legs and not being able to keep the exact same game plan throughout 90 minutes as you got to do in the first 45 or 60. Yeah, like to Austin's point, I think a big part of that was I've been hard on Blaze Matuidi, but Blaze Matuidi and Victor Ijoa, that double pivot in midfield, they did a really good job at nullifying um, everything Orlando tried to do, basically. Oscar Perea, for large amounts of the first half, um, you know, he was still tinkering with a bit of uh, tactical changes for Orlando, but they, they couldn't find a way to break through. And I think it had a lot to do with the midfield trio of Chapman, um, Matuidi, and Ijoa just uh, playing well, stepping up, not letting Orlando's uh, attacking players get time on the ball nani for large parts of uh, that first half even neville said it uh during the post-match conference nani barred those two instances he was involved in the goal he he didn't really do anything so as uh did daryl dk he was excuse me largely nullified as well so that high press um you know come like the 70th 73rd minute when orlando uh started to open up and score uh, a bit um you, you know the guys look they looked visibly tired so uh yeah high press is hard to 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 keep you know up during a full 90 minutes you saw when Gonzalo Higuain came on yeah he did score but Carranza they were missing that you know that that person that just pressed Orlando's back line up there so I think the while the high press is is a phenomenal tactic I think Intermime needs to choose pressing triggers and pick and choose when to press if you guys uh you know get my drift yeah i do i I guess my my counterpoint to that is you're built for the team that you have not the team that you want to have and the problem that i see in in that is okay it's wonderful to want that high press it's wonderful to want that 90 minute tentacity if you will but Clearly, fitness is an issue with this squad right now. Clearly, they are not built for 90 minutes, and they haven't been built for 90 minutes for two seasons now, it's apparent. We can look back to the LA game. We can look back to countless games. We can look back to Atlanta at home last year. We can look back to uh, uh, even LAFC, the very first game that they had at LAFC, where they played well and just lost it at the end. It is consistent with this team. That they, as its current iteration, these guys cannot go for the 90 minutes in that fashion. And so it, it's sort of like trying to put lipstick on a pig because we know that they're not able to do that. And yet we keep thinking that they're going to do that. And then we act surprised week after week after week after week when they're not able to do it. It almost is insanity. Right, The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. This team does not want to do that press again and again and yet consistently tries to do it. Yeah, I agree. In the, today's uh, the press conference, uh, Neville did touch on how Gonzalo Higuain was still <laughs> coming back to full fitness they have him on a special program to which to is be crazy able- right yeah, Alex, yeah he's Alex, a professional he should yeah it is crazy like i i know when he was playing in city uh he's always had a trouble with his weight i know at napoli he had a he had a you know like a gut issue like he was just overweight and slow and sluggish and we see it here with inner miami so like you said they're professional players and i know uh, the high press is a popular tactic that coaches use nowadays but i think neville needs to find a happy medium with that like yeah like like press like 
pick and choose when to press. You know, there's pressing triggers that you can use. You know, when Orlando is going back to goal, press there. When they have at the halfway point, press there. But this high octane Liverpool-esque pressing that it's just not sustainable with the the personnel that Inter Miami has. It's not sustainable, sure. But at the same time, I would have to say I need to fully agree with your point on picking and choosing times in which to do this, whether it's 15-minute intervals, five-minute intervals, or certain scenarios of play that Neville sees and has to make call-outs to the pitch, whatever it is. It worked in the first half, and I don't think anybody can deny that, and that's why you cannot shy away from it. Orlando did not look like Orlando City that I saw. They had played, I think, that Tuesday night, if I remember correctly, before the Friday night match, and they looked like a magnificent team before and after the weather delay that they that they went through. And they looked a totally different team, not necessarily lost, but they were unable to control the game in a way that they wanted to. They were unable to let Daryl DK, you know, roam around the box or, or, or use his back to goal. Nani didn't look himself in the first half. He wasn't creating the chances that he was in the second. It was all because of that high press and that high line. And I think it's not something you need to shy away from. And sure, the team is not built for it for 90 minutes. And I don't think that the, the intensity that they had going in, it, it didn't seem like that would be you know, a, a practical solution for a 90 minute game. And I don't think it would be a practical solution for any team because it's very hard to sustain for 90 minutes just as human beings. But it's not something that Phil Neville in his tactical ideas needs to shy away from because they made a very good MLS team struggle. And you're going to have to consistently do that in order to try and get results. Well, let's talk about those tactics, Austin, because a lot of it happened with possession, especially in the first half, I thought. Uh, I I saw a team that really, one of the rare times Inter-Miami was comfortable on the ball, comfortable having control of the match, and not really needing that counterattacking approach. They were on the front foot. Inter-Miami has not typically in their history been a team that has held a lot of the ball and held a lot of the chances. They've often been very opportunistic in how they've wanted to attack you. Uh, This was the only the fourth game that Inter-Miami has had in their 10 this season where they've had a higher expected goal differential than their opponent, right? So this is a scenario where they really very much took the game to Orlando. So my question to you and to, to Alex is, is the higher possession, is that necessary? Do you need that possession for them to be successful? They've only gotten four points from those four games that they had a higher you know, shot and expected goal differential than their opponent. Uh, and so do they need to have the ball or should they be smarter with how they are holding possession, how they're, they're taking the game to the opponent and not necessarily focusing so much more on okay, we need to dictate the pace. We need to dictate the possession. I think if you listen to the players, they they want to have the ball. I know in today's uh, press conference, Jay Chapman was uh, breaking down how Neville was uh, talking about uh, just positional play and how players should move without the ball. They want to be not necessarily, yes, more possession-based, but they want players to be more more fluid in their positioning so if let's say usual is on the ball in midfield oh there's a pocket of space where jay chapman will drift into where usual will have that and that pocket of space where chapman's into maybe caronzo will make a run and then chapman will be able to play a through ball in so caronzo can have a shot so 
yes, they do want more possession. And I think Inter Miami should you know have more possession because without the ball, you know, they they run their legs tired just trying to get the ball back from the from their opposition. But yeah, they they need more of the ball. Um, I don't think if it depends on who starts up top. Like if Carranza starts, yes, you can be that bunker and you know long ball up top you know, counterattacking team with Lewis Morgan, Shea on the left-hand side, but say Iguain and Pizarro starting, they're good players and they're technical enough to be able to retain the ball a bit more, maybe, you know, have more of a possession-based style, but yeah, absolutely the players do want to have more of the ball for sure. I, I will say this. The, the team, when having the ball, has never, honestly, and I think... This may be outlandish to say, but in the club's history, I don't think that I have ever had more than like five minutes of play where I've said Inter Miami look comfortable in possession and on the ball and I see a cohesive unit. I, I genuinely have a hard time finding those moments. And there, yes, there have been some, but it's not for, let's say, a half or 15 minutes or throughout a whole 90 minutes anyway. We have to find these small little moments where they do, you know, have a good passage of play and end up leading to goal. There, there have been a couple, sure, but it's not normal for Inter Miami to look comfortable on the ball, and especially not this season. And I think that, you know, when the possession numbers are more even, yes, it's easier for yourself to, or for a team to have a better result at the end of the day because you're not getting, you know, fully dominated. But at the same time, if you're not going to use that possession in a quality manner or, or take quality chances while having it, then it, it doesn't mean anything. And you can have 30% possession and Jay Chapman could score that goal that we saw in the first half. And, you know, when he was in the middle of the box and put it right to, to not really to Austin's hands, he had to make a save, but you know, you could have those chances and have 30% possession and score those. And I'd be a lot more happy or you can have this 47%, I think, that we had this week, not score that one or two chances that we did have or that Inter-Miami had in this match, and you look at a 2-1 result and you say, well, we either didn't take our chances, we didn't create enough chances, or Inter-Miami just basically weren't efficient enough when it did happen. So there's a lot of different aspects to the possession numbers, in my opinion, uh, for Inter-Miami, because it all boils down to playmaking and cohesion and the team actually finding moments where they have good passages of play. And I think with the personnel that has, you know, is with the roster now and that is continued to be put out, not that it's anybody's fault, but they just have not been able to get it together and create enough chances to where you don't have to be fully efficient, but at least one of them are going to go in. Right. Okay. It's just tough. Which Austin, which one is it though? Right, like which I, is it? I, I, I don't. I don't mean to to say. I don't mean to be like crass here, but you have to have some sort of a solution here. It can't just be always that. Okay, well, with the personnel, they're not able to do it, but they're still going to try to do it, or they're going to try to do it, but the personnel isn't there. It's got to be one or the other. You have to play to who you have. No. Yeah, no, Neville's Neville's got to figure it out for sure. And for me, I, I don't think that this is a team that needs to say we want to control possession. Uh, we want to have all the ball. And I think that that's how Neville started off his campaign. It, it was, you know, we have players like Rodolfo Pizarro who, who wants to control the game. And 
I think he's got to fully go away from that. And I think he has a little bit too. So yes, you need to play to your personnel. I know that he originally said he had a non-negotiable style, but throughout the season, we've seen many different styles of play from inter Miami already. And we're only 10 games in. He's figuring things out. (laughs) Almost every single game. It's a different style. Yeah. It's much like uh, Diego Alonso. I don't think we're getting much difference here. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's my opinion on it. Neville's got to figure out what he wants to do. And I know we're only a third of the way through, you know, playoffs are not fully out of it. And this Orlando game was a stepping stone. In my opinion, they've had two pretty good performances in terms of the attitude and the mentality. So now it's just the tactical things that need to be worked on. I want to touch on the mentality thing you just mentioned, Austin. Um, I look, I don't want to throw the team's DPs under the bus, but you know, there's a reason why Pizarro is not starting, even though he's quote unquote dealing with a hip flexor injury. It's the effort. You know, you see, that's why, you know, Jay Chapman's starting for a reason. He's more of a presser. He'll get the ball out of his feet a bit quicker. While Pizarro may be the talented player, he doesn't have the work rate that maybe even like Federico does or, you know, Jay Chapman does. So, and I know Iguain is you know, our star, the, the team star DP, but, you know, Carranza provides a different profile than Gonzalo. You know, he doesn't, Gonzalo doesn't press as much. Uh, Carranza holds up the ball maybe a bit better. He runs those channels. So as far as changing his, Neville's changing his, his tactical uh, idea, I think it's, he's doing it because of the players he has at his disposal. And, you know, that's not an excuse to say, oh, well, they should, uh, play possession ball. They should play counterattacking. I think in order for Inter Miami to succeed this season, Neville needs to find a balance to get the best out of all of his players. And I think the Orlando game was a good step. They, even though the team lost, there was a cohesion. Not, no, not cohesion, but the team gave more effort. You know, we they they had Orlando on the ropes for a, a long period of time. So I think Neville just needs to find that right that right balance and you know it's gonna take it's gonna take a while it's just gonna take a while but you know he has to find that balance well let's talk about jay chapman alex both of you brought him up uh you know outside of gonzalo Higuain's goal the only two shots on target came in that orlando game from jay chapman uh everybody around him lewis morgan breck shea Julian Carranza all get subbed off. Jay Chapman plays the full 90. So he clearly was the focal point of the offense and the attack. Uh, Just going through some things from the match, you know, he had uh, 37, 35, excuse me, passes, uh, 95% completion rate. That was one of the highest on the teams for people that were on for 90 minutes. Five progressive actions that was highest on the team. 39 carries through the uh, attacking third highest on the team. A really complete performance from G. Chapman. And it seems like every single time that he's on the pitch that he is a catalyst to allow this team to to feel differently than it does when Rodolfo Pizarro is. That's not to take away anything from Pizarro, but he really hasn't been able to do it for a full 90 consistently day in and day out like Jay Chapman is. And it's a bit concerning not taking anything away from from Jay, but it's a bit concerning when that is the case. It, it would feel like your big name, your big time salary players should be requiring those big time performances. And when you know someone who just didn't make the Canadian Gold Cup team 
is doing that for you and is the one person staying on of your attacking four uh, through an entire 90 minutes, uh, that would that would indicate some sort of uh, cause for concern, would it not? A hundred percent. And the fact that we are even at a point in a season where we, as people who analyze this team, are comparing over Adolfo Pizarro to Jake Chapman is is mind boggling, right? Like it's not something that I ever would have thought would have happened. And I will say this, just for my my thoughts on on but Jay Jay Chapman, great, right? Like Jay's yeah. great. He he played he really really credit. really well. But I don't think that Jay Chapman, in my opinion, is anything but a true catalyst for a midfield, and th- that's why Jay Chapman in a ten role. I know you read some of the stats, but. Jay Chapman for me is not somebody if I was a manager that I necessarily want in the 10 rule to provide a young striker like Julian Carranza service like that for me is the most important part of playing the number 10. But at the same time with Jay Chapman inserted into there, he has Matuidi and Uyoa in behind him who also aren't going to create chances, but also, you know, we've seen the not necessarily lack of effort from Matuidi, not in the last couple games, but in beforehand, he's had to make up for some of that ground. So, I kind of think of it more as a midfield three in which doesn't have a true creative playmaker. And that's the downside of it. The upside of it is we got the first half against Orlando and this guy is working his socks off and making them look troubled and pressing almost like a, a Gregory type style where, where he's making players uncomfortable when they're on the ball. He's he's picking out spaces uh, that he sees. He, he does a phenomenal job as a catalyst and as a workhorse. But on the flip side of that, it also is the downfall of this team in terms of what I just mentioned in my previous point about creating chances and not getting good enough ones in order to provide service for, you know, the young striker and Julian Carranza when he's on the pitch. Now, when Higuain's on the pitch, you have someone who can create his own chance. And I think Jay Chapman was given the assist, but that was all Gonzalo Higuain. So it's a weird balance, but I honestly, even with all this said, I would still start Jay Chapman over Rodolfo Pizarro in the 10 role because at this point, this team needs to work really hard in order to get results, and it's not going to all be about you know the most talent. It's going to be about the guys that have the right mentality. Yeah, I agree with you, Austin. Neville wants guys to you know, play for the badge. They want guys to play for the shirt. And right now, unfortunately, uh, our deep the DPs aren't. They're not doing that. So. Uh, Jay Chapman mentioned this morning that he does have a bit of an engine. He's a guy that likes to press. He likes to run around. He likes to uh, link up play. So I think that's a big reason why Neville has uh, put the faith in him and uh, trusted him to start and do the the proper tactical role that he's just not seeing out of Rodolfo Pizarro. Um, I, w- I would start him against Montreal as well. So uh, And Chapman did mention, as far as Inter Miami goes, defending from the front this morning he mentioned how neville wants him to defend from the front yes we will touch on the defense later but football as a whole you need to defend as a unit right so if your striker isn't holding up the ball if your midfielders aren't pressing then that's going to be all on your defense to be able to come up with you know say or your goalie to come up with save after save your defense to to come up with these last ditch tackles which isn't a sustainable way to play football. So with Jay Chapman in that 10 role, you get the work rate. No, you don't have the creativity, but Jay, Jay is a guy that likes to press. He does like to link up play. He will press the opposition's defenders as well. So uh, 
And it, it's an issue that Rodolfo Pizarro is not, you know, doing that. Uh, Inter Miami spent what was his transfer fee like twelve million on on a guy who scored zero goals this season. I think he has one assist. So it's it, Jay isn't a guy that you necessarily want to rely on. But right now, I I do believe he's a bit of a stopgap until Pizarro gets sold. Maybe Federico can get some minutes later. But right now, it's. The 10 roll is Jay Chapman's for him to lose, basically. So, so Alex, to that point, because you mentioned a, a lot of, of what's going on in the midfield. Obviously, Gregory comes back. Ryan Shawcross will come back uh, after their suspensions from the red cards that they received uh, in the uh, previous match. And they were ineligible in Orlando. Now they return for Montreal, um, or at least are eligible does that change the way things look? Do you consider would you, would either of you consider playing Jay with Frederico or with Pizarro together? Is that even a possibility? To me, that seems a little um, crowded. It doesn't seem very fluid. But is that an option for either of you? Uh personally, I would. I I I think Neville's gonna go with um you know the same consistent lineup. I think Chapman will start again. Gregory will start. Matuidi so will start. So it's always again. a four-two-three-one, no matter. Yeah, what. I, I don't think okay. uh, he'll be uh, reverting uh, anything really. Yeah, I I don't think so either. I, I think that it's just going to be the sub for Victor coming off f- for Gregory and, and keeping Jay Chapman in the ten role because he really did absolutely nothing other than missing that first chance, which would have been so nice for all inter Miami fans uh, to, to lose his role. <laughs> I mean, nothing at all. So it's hard now that you have the, you know, with Gregory coming back and Uyola being there and Pizarro and Federico being on the bench, there's a couple of different options that you can go with. And unfortunately you can't play them all together because they need to do the same job. So, and I also don't think that Neville's going to shy away from the four-two-three-one. I think he's got to be consistent. And please, if if there is no time to change the formation, it is. We know it is now against Montreal because the first time that we changed the formation was against Montreal, and you went down two-nil in twenty minutes. So let's not change the formation, Phil, and keep it as a four-two-three-one, and try and stay consistent as possible. And I, I think that I also heard in a press conference uh, on Thursday that he said the squad was fully fit besides Joven Jones and Robbie Robinson. So we saw Joven Jones come on late, and that was something that I guess was trying to provide some kind of spark down the left flank uh, after McCoon was getting beat by long balls uh, over and over again. So that was something that we saw, and it ended up being an injury, which is really unfortunate, and I think that he might be out for quite some time, is what Phil Neville said. So there is there is some concern there, in my opinion. So as far as the left back situation goes, who do you guys think will start? You know, Jovan will be out for some time. I know Austin, you don't necessarily rate McCoon <laughs> uh, in that uh, in that spot. So um, I think Breck will probably get there unless Kieran Gibbs, you know, gets his visa um, within the next week. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm curious to see who you guys think will will start in that spot. I don't think it really matters. I'm not as concerned as I think that the two of you are. Um, I, I think that Brickshay has played fine. And he's been very aggressive in how he's been able to move forward. I think that this Swiss Army knife thing that 
they've done with Christian Makuna has done him a massive disservice. He can't settle into any spot. He can't figure out where he's playing on the field. And it's too much for a, a young developmental talent that, that just settle him in in that six to center back role and let him just sort of develop where he is. I don't think that it's that big of a deal, especially like you said, Alex, with, with Gibbs on the way. We know that that's going to sort of be the, where, where he slots in. I don't really think that just for Montreal, you have two, you have a two week break after this. That, that that will wind up being that big of a deal. I do feel a bit for Christian because he's been, like you said, thrown into all these different positions, center back. Um, I know uh, he's played uh, D mid for Fort Lauderdale CF last year. I, I don't think, yeah, like he's been in a bunch of different positions, so he hasn't really been able to settle. I know the team is very high on him and his talents, but um, it's unfortunate just the way, you know, Inter Miami's form has been going so far. You know, he, he'll get playing time, yeah, but um, due to the team constantly losing, uh, you know, it doesn't do wonders for a, you know, a young player's confidence to, you know, just have mistakes, maybe get beat on the dribble. You know, I could guess you could say he was at fault for one of the goals, but it, Nani was playing on a godlike level so I, I can't really blame him for for that so yeah it's difficult and I do rate him highly but it's gonna take a while for him to settle in definitely so we covered the uh the I don't know the bad the ugly the frustrating whatever it may be but let's talk about the good for a little bit because one thing that was absolutely astounding astonishing and fantastic last Friday was the environment it was electric, to say the least. Probably the best crowd that Inter-Miami has had in their history, in, in the entire time. Such a great feeling to see an entire packed house. La Familia going crazy on that end. Uh, all the supporters going nuts. We heard from from uh, countless, countless people uh, happy about how the, uh, the the environment was and, and their first experience with Inter-Miami and even the nation getting to experience that on a broader level. You want atmosphere? You came to the right place. That oh, is, good. of course, JP Della Camera on the Fox Sports One call. A uh, just, just guys, let's get it. Let's talk about La Familia. Let's talk about the the three supporters groups: the Siege by City Boys and Southern Legion. What they are all doing? Uh, a wonderful atmosphere. The drums, the smoke, the flags, the songs. Uh, really, a unique environment. And, and listen, that's not to take away anything from any other supporters groups. Uh, MLS has tremendous supporters groups throughout the league. This feels a little different. This feels like something that that MLS might not really be accustomed to. That these that these supporters groups, these fans, our fans are a little bit of a different style, a, bit, a little bit of a different atmosphere. That that. Uh, visiting fans might enjoy or not enjoy, <laughs> mind you, but but also just a, a different feel than your traditional uh, supporters section. One of the best things that I saw while watching that and watching La Familia go absolutely crazy uh, is a, it's a image that will be implanted in my head forever. 
it was right after the, the Gonzalo Higuain goal when they started going crazy, of course, and, and the pink smoke was going over. And unfortunately, a goal from Orlando came right after, but the pink glare that stood over the field was just un- unbelievable. I tried to get a picture of it. I believe I posted it on Twitter, but it did not do it justice. It, it was so amazing to see the the glare from the smoke that they had let off over the field. Everything just looked pink, and it was it was phenomenal. And I cannot say enough about these supporters. Uh, I know that it, it is definitely not easy to run a supporters club. I have definitely heard that, and they put in a ton of work. Obviously, they put in a ton of effort, not only in the 90 minutes that you you know, you know get to witness, but outside of that, they do an unimaginable job. Um, and I, I have to say, Inter-Miami are very, very lucky to have these three supporters groups behind them because they they put in, you know, applause and effort like nobody else in MLS, in my opinion. I don't think that there's a lot of, you know, fan bases like Inter Miami's. They bring a totally different aspect and feel and the energy is just unbelievable. And this team doesn't really deserve them at this point. And I'm so glad that they are definitely sticking around. Of course, they're sticking around. They love the team. They love the club. They love the city. I just want them to to have a better product because I can't imagine what it would be like at the end of 90 minutes when we get a result. That would be, I know that that would be something crazy too. They go crazy anyway, but to get a result at home that they haven't done this year is something I want to see Inter Miami do for the fans because they absolutely deserve it. Isn't that a bit cr- crazy how Inter Miami, I, I don't believe they've won at home yet. Have I have to go back and look at, the games but yeah the fans do deserve not, not this season no they haven't won this season nope. that's wild yeah honestly that's unacceptable but yeah the fans do deserve better um they've been brilliant um the attendance that night was 17,926 which is um the highest um official attendance at drive pink yeah there's been two full uh capacity games but it's a testament to the fan base and how, you know, the guys need to play, start playing better on the pitch and end of really like Inter Miami have a good thing going here. You know, I don't want to jump the gun, but best supporters in MLS. I want to jump, jump in real fast. Out. What are we calling this? Are we calling it drive pink? Are we calling it punk? Like there's no, there's no uh, <laughs> vowels in any of this. Are we calling it new Lockhart? Have we decided on a name yet? Well, I call it drive pink. Uh, sometimes Inter Miami CF Stadium, depending on my mood, depending on the team plays. Austin, <laughs> but, I always call it Lockhart. It's always going to be Lockhart to me. Is that different for you, man? I I grew up with it being Lockhart. I will still, you know, unintentionally call it Lockhart when I'm explaining it to other people. In I guess a professional setting, I guess I, I say Drive Pink, but for me, like you and like a lot of other people, it's still Lockhart, and I'll still refer to it as Lockhart because. My strikers days back then when I was a kid, you know, growing up, that those are those are good memories, a couple of games with friends. But yeah, Lockhart for me just feels right. But I know I it's drive pink, I guess, but I love calling it Lockhart. Uh yeah, so like I think best supporters in MLS 
Is it too soon to say that? I think the the energy that La Familia gives the team is incredible. I know when Gonzalez scored that goal, the stadium was physically shaking. It was incredible. There was pink smoke everywhere. You know, beer was being like spilled and it was just an amazing, amazing atmosphere. And I wish I could relive that moment over and over again because it was just so it was just it was so good. Like it was like this you know, euphoria it was absolutely brilliant. But the team needs to start playing better if they want more of that, honestly. And it's a shame that they haven't won at home in order to be able to experience that. So I was just wondering if you guys agree with uh, my sentiment that La Familia quickly is becoming one of the best supporters groups in MLS, maybe? Uh, I'm not going to take anything away from anybody. I think that MLS has tremendous supporters groups. And so I don't want to take away from them. I think what La Familia has done is fantastic, and they are well on their way. Supporters groups are very uh, – it's almost like raising a child. It has to link with the parents. It has to link with the club. And until the club finds success, you know, there are are instances of this. Sporting Kansas City for a long time when they were the Kansas City Wizards, right? Like – and the cauldron had to sort of figure out what they were. Portland has always had wonderful support. And even when uh, Providence Park was a, a baseball stadium, they managed to figure out how to make their supporter section the way it is. D.C. with uh, Barra Brava uh, and, and what they were. So I, I think that in this new expansion era of MLS, it's been a little different. So I, I think it's a little too soon to judge. What I do like is that it is a unique atmosphere. It is unique to MLS, especially in for the sure, fact that, sure. that, that right, it, and it's very, it's very much, uh, you know, built off of River Plate, very much built off of Boca Juniors, it, it, it's very much built off of that South American style of uh, of of cheering for ninety no matter what. Um, I, I I guess my hope would be that there would be a little more. Um, uh, sort of catering towards the flow of the match instead of just singing. I think that sometimes it can fall a little bit hollow when you're cheering after a goal, like happened after the Nani goal, right? Like the, there was still cheering. That wasn't a moment for that. And, you you know, so there's the good, which is what you guys had both said after the Iguayin goal. You see that, and that's lovely. And then there's the, well, why, are, why is there the singing and the chanting continuing after the Nani goal? when you go down behind Uh, that I guess maybe culturally is a little new for me and a little different for me that that will be something that I'll get used to as we continue on this journey together. And I'm very excited to do it. Uh, It's just different for me. And I, I find it really fun. I find it wonderful. My question to you would be off of that is then why always does it seem like there is that lull after Inter Miami goes up at home. We've seen that happen time and time again. That Inter Miami gets up at home, the crowd goes crazy, they're behind them the whole time, and yet they're not able to hold on to the lead. Why is that? Um, I think it's that's a good question. I think it's because well, Inter Miami hasn't really won at home, so. Uh, Honestly, that's a that's a bit of a head scratcher. Um, that's a good question, Austin. Do you have anything to to add there? I stumped you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Alex got stumped. I'm no, a bit stumped. I, <laughs> no, I and it actually it does date back to last season. I there were there were countless times when watching 
Inter Miami, other than that one Orlando game where LGP scored the header in the 90th minute. But watching them at home, they conceded, what, five, ten minutes after scoring? It seemed like every single time. And it's home. It's away from home. It's especially home, actually. And they did it again here against our rivals. And this is, you know, a time where you're supposed to feed off of the crowd, not not take a step back after going up. That energy and support is is to keep going, not take a foot off the gas. And yes, it was an absolutely class goal. The one touch cross from Nani Mueller, you know, Mueller finishing it was was really good, but you don't want to see that happen five minutes after scoring and you have all the momentum in your favor. That is not something that should be happening. And I can't point as to why. I don't know, you know, in this specific scenario, like we said earlier on, you know, for me, it was not being able to contain the high press, but also, you know, looking back at the entire season, I'm not sure, you know, what the, the thing is, other than a mentality standpoint, that's where I'm going to point my fingers to. Is it a mentality? Do they take their foot off the gas? And I also think, I don't know if it was Blaise Matuidi or Victor Uyoa at some point, I think they were asked about this. And I, I'm actually going to go back and find the quote and, and do my homework and find out who said it and what they said. But they did mention something about conceding right after scoring. So I even had a, t- a short talk with it, I believe, with another media member along with Alex in the in, in the uh, elevator after the game. It was just after they, they, they score, they just concede. And it's just a constant theme. And that's not something you want to have be a consistent attribute to your team. That's They got to get away from it. Okay, let's talk the next match, guys. Uh, Montreal away. This, uh, Of course, Montreal was training at um, Inter-Miami's training facility for much of the past several months. They are now uh, on their way up to New York. This game will be played up there uh, before Montreal returns into Canada. Uh, So this game will be played behind closed doors still, even though it is an away game. Uh, The the last game before a two-week break for Inter-Miami, they'll they'll get a couple weeks off to get some guys healthy especially. So let's talk about Montreal. They currently sit ninth in the Eastern Conference, sitting on 13 points uh, out of the playoff picture just simply because of wins uh, uh, accumulated. Inter-Miami sitting at eight points and... Really, this seems like an opportunity to get some points. Inter Miami has been very good on the road, comparable to what you would expect a road team to get, especially in Major League Soccer. Uh, I, I really think that a lot of the drop points have been at home, not so much on the road. Do you see this as another opportunity for them to keep this Jekyll and Hyde persona going where they struggle at home but find a way to, to – accumulate points on the road Ab- absolutely i would say absolutely this is a time where inter miami have to capitalize i know we've said it for the last two matches or even before that running into teams that aren't necessarily in great form and i think actually montreal watching them for me are a lot better team than what their status on the table says and their points say I, I think that they have a lot of quality within their roster and also last time that inter miami played them it was obviously that two nil defeat but 
a couple of their starters weren't playing. I don't believe Wanyama was playing. I don't believe uh, Diop, their goalkeeper, was playing. And this was also the game where Phil Neville went with that new three at the back formation, which he definitely won't do. But that was she scrapped immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he scrapped it right, like right as, as soon as it was. I mean, it was probably too a little bit too late, obviously, because they scored twice. But it was atrocious and I don't think he'll be doing that again but that's what Montreal capitalized on and if you don't give them a chance to capitalize on something and you take the game to them and let them instead of you know letting them force you to make mistakes at the back that's something that they're going to have to work on but also with the entrance of Victor Wanyama who we didn't see in that first matchup that's something I'm looking at Georgie Mihailovic had a pretty good game um, so there, there are a couple of uh, I don't know if Kyoto will be playing but there are a couple of key players for them that that can be really good uh, it's just and I, and I like I said I think that they're a better team than what we've seen on paper it's going to be a tough match but at the same time, they're not in a great run of form. They have not been able to string out as many wins as they would have liked on the season so far. I think only three for them at this point. So it's a time to get points. It's a time to get points going into an international break where you can rest up a little bit and then you come back and you hopefully have two signings from the summer window or I guess it was a, the January window, but they're coming in the summer it's a time to, to start with some momentum going into the international break, come out of it and, and keep it rolling. Mihailovic, you mentioned him also Mason Toye. Both of them did not get selected to the U S men's national team gold cup roster, uh, along with Robbie Robinson for inter Miami, who was, who was in the camp as well. But perhaps Alex, it, there's a, a bit of a, a chip on their shoulder for getting snubbed like that. Yeah, I do think this will be a difficult game for Inter-Miami. I do think they'll play a bit better. They'll play with more heart. They'll play with more grit. But um, like Austin said, Montreal, they're better than what people are giving them. They have a really good uh, squad. They've got a good system going on. They play it through the back, you know, uh, with Mihailovic as the 10. So it'll be a difficult game for Miami. But, um, you know, looking at their uh, Inter-Miami's record, um, if I'm not mistaken, they do play, you know, I think they've gotten more wins on the road than they have at home. Yeah, they've gotten more wins on the road than they have at home. So maybe this will be a weird advantage for Inter-Miami, but it'll it'll be a difficult game. But uh, I expect, um, you know, with Gregory coming back in, I don't know if Sawcross starts. I don't know who will start at the back line, but it, it'll be a, a different Inter-Miami team with more grit and more heart playing a uh, a, a Montreal team that I don't think initially Inter Miami were uh, prepared for that two zero defeat. Um, well, what was it like a month ago, six weeks ago? But yeah, it'll be a hard game. But I can see Inter Miami playing better. Will they win? R- r- the results will be seen. But yeah, I think Inter Miami will definitely not roll over this time. Give me your backline predictions because I think that's probably where the the biggest concern is. I think it'll be. Austin cover years I think it'll be the same <laughs> the same back line I think McCoon will start I think it'll be LGP Figal and Leardom I believe Leardom will be off uh with the gold cup I believe I have to double check that with Suriname so um yeah I think the back line will, will largely largely be consistent unless Neville decides to throw a curveball and start Shawcross but other than that I think it'll be the the same back line we saw I don't disagree with that. I think it will be the same back line, but that's just because you're you're running out of options, right? So 
even with Shawcross coming back, I think you need to start building on this partnership with LGP and Figal, who were absolutely phenomenal in the in, almost the entire, I would say, uh, match against Orlando. They, they were outstanding, and you need to build on that partnership. I think that that's going to be really important for these guys going forward, and you won't so much have to lean on, you know, Ryan Shawcross at his 30 whatever years of age um, you you have two guys that are in the primes of their career that need to build a partnership and are best at center backs and I know Figal you know plays pretty well right back and I, I've had my thoughts about that I'm pretty positive in thinking about that but with Kelvin Leardom here and here while you can use him before he goes off to the gold cup you need to get his reps in and let Figal do this thing with LGP and as for the left back we talked about the Joven Jones in, uh, uh, injury so you don't really have any other choice other than Christian McCoon. Uh, Gibbs is not here yet. Breck Shea is probably going to play as a left winger because Robbie Robinson is still out. So McCoon's going to be that guy as much as I necessarily don't necessarily like it. And it's not that I don't like Christian McCoon as a person or as a player. It just doesn't fit him. So yeah, I think we're going to see the same back line. My question for both of you is, is Figal and LGP the long-term partnership? I know Shawcross has had a couple of good games, but like you said, he's up there in age. And I know before the season started, when Shawcross did sign, I, I did I got jumped by Stoke fans by saying that um, this this you know Shawcross will be a backup largely uh, throughout the duration of the season. So my question is, will LGP and Figal be that long term? And maybe. Maybe we, the team goes out and brings up someone from Fort Lauderdale to play as a right back. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I Long term, I, I think that Mabika is the, the option there. I, I think that that's what you would hope would happen. Um, you know, obviously he gave up the penalty for Fort Lauderdale last week, which was a little unfortunate, but he's played well. I really liked seeing him play for the Heronitos. Um, I, I think that he's been really good. Um, so, you know, our LGB and Figal, LGB and Figal, the, the long-term solution, I don't know if necessarily you can say either of them are long-term solutions at this point. I think that that was the idea. Um, I, I think that they would want that to be the case, but I don't know if it necessarily is what they wanted it to be. Shawcross definitely was intended, I think, to be a third option, but has outperformed Figal. And and Nico's got to own that. And he's got to work harder, especially in that center. He, listen, the, all of the numbers say that he has performed better as a center back than he has as a right back. So yeah. for whatever reason, he keeps ending up on the on the right side. Why is that? What's going on with you, man? And and I think that he sort of needs to realize what's going on with, with his play that is ending him up out there because he doesn't want to be out there. The numbers say he shouldn't be out there, and yet he keeps being out there. I well, first to your first point, I have to fully disagree with your point about LGP and Figal not being the long-term options. I think that these guys are in a very good age, especially for center backs who can go a bit longer than a couple of the other key positions. And I think that they've both done a pretty decent job thus far. LGP is. Uh, actually playing a lot better than he was to begin the season. He's come into a really good role despite having a lot of different center back partners. He's been the consistent one. You talked about Figal going out wide and coming in. It has to do a little bit with injury. I know that, I mean, if you look at the situations and circumstances for each game, um, you know, 
Figal has had to play right back because Leardip has been injured or been on international duty. And you're, it's something you're going to see uh, throughout the Gold Cup uh, month. It, it's going to it's going to happen. I, I think that's another reason why they brought in a Ryan Shawcross, uh, a reliable number three option. I never, like you said, I never thought he was going to be a number one or number two option. He's just not at that point in his career anymore. Uh, but for me, Yes, I love Mabika. I think he's been good. He's huge. He's massive. He, you know, causes problems for attackers. And another person that I've liked is actually Fort Lauderdale CF's captain, uh, Ethan Harden. I think that he's done pretty well uh, throughout the season and games that I've watched. But as good as prospects as I can see those guys being, you have to go with what you are sure about right now, especially in long term with these guys. I think if I am not looking at it, I would guess they're 27 and 28 years old. I don't, I think that that's right. I'm not totally sure. But at that point in your career, you're looking to to play an extra four or five years at, at a very high level. And if they stay here, I think that they're going to be able to do that. Uh, it's just about building a partnership and not having to use Fiegel out wide would be great. So we can build on that partnership with them too. Uh, but obviously, circumstances arise, and if you never traded Dylan Nealis, maybe we wouldn't be running into this. Yeah, oh, I'll yeah, interject. Yeah. Oh, no, my go, buddy. Go ahead, I'll interject real quick, and I'll confirm. Yeah, Figal is twenty-seven, and LGP is twenty. Yeah, twenty-nine. So yeah, they're like you said, they're at a good age for Inter Miami to you know have them as a possible long-term partnership. Okay, guys. So let, let's turn to the Gold Cup. Like we said, Leardom, uh with Suriname. And uh, Jovan Jones, the news out of Trinidad and Tobago that uh, after the injury that he suffered late in the game with Orlando City on Friday, he will not be playing in these upcoming uh, qualification matches that will happen both Friday and Saturday at uh, Drive Pink Stadium and then their final being on July 6th. So he will be out, obviously wasn't going to play for uh, for the Montreal game as he would be with Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, we'll see if he will be available on July 17th against New York Red Bulls for the squad uh, with Kieran, Gri- Kieran Gibbs and uh, Nick Marsman at, uh, also coming in by then. So, so uh, additions for Inter-Miami coming in. But a great opportunity here for uh, the, the, the club, the squad, uh, the organization to host these matches coming up and a great opportunity for really the international flavor of this club to host uh, the likes of Cuba, the likes of Guatemala, the likes of uh, Trinidad and Tobago and, and and really get a wonderful atmosphere this weekend. Austin, I think that you said that you were going to the games on Friday. I'll be at the games on Saturday. Uh, and, and just overall your uh, excitement for these matches that will be hosted at Drive Pink Stadium. Yeah, I, I will be at the games on Friday. Uh, I don't know how many I'll stay for, but my priority is the the Haitian game uh, because, quick little story, I, I am taking a friend from work who's never gotten to see a live soccer game who loves the Haitian national team. So I, I told him I would buy him tickets and uh, I'm going to take him out and we're going to go with a couple other friends uh, right after work and head over there so he can watch his beloved Haitian national team play. Uh, and obviously, too, down here in South Florida, there is a massive uh, Haitian population. So another one of the countries, like you were mentioning, that you know bringing – not necessarily awareness, but they're going to be on a stage here in South Florida and it's just, you know, helping that, that culture. So I I am very excited. I think it is a really good opportunity for a lot of 
you know, different fans from around, you know, this CONCACAF region to see their teams. And also they're playing for something important. It's to get into the gold cup. And I don't think that that should be overlooked. These are competitive matches, not just friendlies. And this is something that is very important for these national team sides and federations um, for this season and for the immediate month coming up. So it's going to be really good. I'm excited to definitely go on Friday I won't be able to make it Saturday, but I'm going to hopefully go on Tuesday when they have all the winners play each other to see who gets in. And I also believe, too, that one of these winners get into the group with the USA, Canada and, and Martinique. So that's another thing to look out for. They they do, they are the, the teams in that Haitian bracket are, are the ones that will uh, end up in the United States group along with uh, Canada. So the, the U.S. will have them as well. Alex, are, are you uh, are you excited about any of these matches? Or are you excited about the U.S. men's national team roster? They got announced today. Uh, only four foreign uh, club players. Uh, a, a predominantly, very overwhelming U.S. Uh, uh, MLS roster that they had. Uh, pretty much entirely MLS roster that the that the U.S. men's national team has for this Gold Cup campaign. And uh, uh, some interesting names that that. Inter Miami has come into contact with recently uh, in the likes of, you know, Giassi Zardes and uh, uh, Kellen Acosta and, and a lot of these guys that Walker Zimmerman that they faced in the playoffs last year. Um, did, was anything that, that stuck out for you? Uh, yeah, I noticed that it was very MLS heavy. <laughs> like you said, um, I'm not at all surprised uh, about that. I think, um, some of the Euro-based players, their clubs probably didn't want them to miss preseason, preseason so they, they they probably didn't want to let them go for, for this, especially after the Nations League final. Half of them, I think a large majority of that starting 11 were Euro-based players. Um, yeah, I'm excited for the U.S. I'm intrigued to see how it goes. It's, a MLS heavy, it's an MLS-heavy roster. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, what's it, uh, Gianluca Busio? Uh I rate him a lot. I like watching him play for sporting um, DK as well for Orlando. This, you know, you know, there's a lot of history between DK and inner Miami and draft picks, but yeah, I'm really excited for uh, this roster. I'm excited for the tournament. Um, I will be watching and yeah, I'm super intrigued to see how the U S does. Quick question. Will we ever as the Heron outlet go an episode without mentioning Daryl DK and the draft picks. I don't think it's possible. No, no, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not until Robbie Robinson gets to his level and surpasses it tenfold. That's a you guys about. thing though. It's <laughs> a you guys okay. thing. I'm not that you all get so caught up with him and it doesn't matter that much to me. Robbie was the obvious choice. You would take him nine times out of ten. Um, it was so obvious to take Robbie. I don't. He, I, don't I, I agree. I I'll agree give him with that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. He was the most talented player coming out of college, bar none. There was no debate about it. But I will say this: in my article for Five Reason Sports for pre-draft, I did have Daryl DK as my number one option, and I said that he would be the best MLS guy, and then he surpassed that. So. It just, I'm not like, I'm not dwelling over it. I'm not looking back and, you know, oh my gosh, I'm in such grief. This is, 
you know, it is what it is and it happened. And I still actually really like Robbie Robinson. I feel like I'm one of uh, this, you know, one of the very few supporters for Robbie. I, I don't think that he gets enough love uh, despite, you know, going through a lot, but I like the kid and I think that he has potential uh, to be a really good MLS player. It's just look at what you missed out on. And it's not something that will ever leave my head. It's especially that he fell to Orlando that kind of, if he didn't fall to Orlando, it probably isn't that big of a deal for inter Miami, but because it was Orlando and it was, you know, you had two picks and of course you're not going to go striker striker, but one and three and then he falls to five there's so many different aspects to it i i don't think that i'll forget it i really don't understand i don't i don't understand the argument like i really it it kind of annoys me because you would never like if robbie's there at one you take robbie like you said you're not going striker striker you always would have taken neilis at three that was more obvious than who you were taking at one so I really never understand this argument of like, oh, Inter Miami should have taken DK at one. Like they, it would, you wouldn't have done that. So, it like it's such revisionist history that I, I like the the discussion in and of itself just gives me a headache because you never would have done that. I will defend Robbie Robinson a bit. I rate him highly as a player. I think before he got injured, he was looking really good. Um, as for DK. Uh, yeah, it's a shame Inter Miami maybe didn't take him, but with Diego Alonso last season, would he have put up the same numbers that he did with under Pareja and Orlando? That's that's the question. So it's it's a hit or miss for me. I, I do like DK, but I'm I am a super fan of Robbie as well. Okay, guys, let's close with Euros. Uh, you have the quarterfinals coming up Friday and Saturday. The semifinals, July 6th and 7th. You have Czech Republic versus Denmark and Ukraine versus England. They'll play on Saturday. And uh, on Friday, you'll have Belgium versus Italy and Switzerland versus Spain. As we close in on the final stages, uh, noticeably absent, no France, no Germany. Uh, So this really seems to be a wide-open tournament if the Italians and the Spanish seem to fall. So... Are they going to find themselves on a collision course? Are they going to be able to get through? Uh, And who on that other side of the bracket? Is this the year that the English are finally going to get to a, to a finally get to a European cup final? I think that the Spanish are going to fall. I, I see Switzerland beating Spain. I think that that's very unpopular, but I don't know. I really like what I saw from the Swiss team, uh, especially in that, that that France game where they came back, it was it was a it was a phenomenal phenomenal performance. Uh, so that was that's something that I'm pretty keen on. I think Switzerland's going to beat Spain. The Belgium Italy matchup is extremely enticing. It's going to be a really good game. It's two teams not necessarily built around you know superstars. Uh, they're just well built teams that have depth um and i think that we are going to be missing uh de bruyne in this matchup which and also he's an eden hazard but thorgan hazard has actually surpassed him in my opinion so that game is going to be really good no matter what even without de bruyne and hazard it's going to be phenomenal i see italy winning as for that other side Denmark just have all the story right and i think that they'll get past the czech republic even though the czech put up a very good performance against the Netherlands, uh, winning 2-0. That was more of a Frank DeBoer issue, in my opinion, but 
we won't we won't get into him. Uh, and as for England and Ukraine, I think England go, and I think this is a time you do see England get into the final because of just how it fell to them. And it not necessarily it's gonna it's not gonna be easy. Beating Ukraine won't be easy, and beating either the Czech Republic or Denmark won't be easy. But you have to look at them and say they are so heavily favored. Um, I don't rate Southgate, but just with the other teams that they're playing in this bracket, I think they get through the final to answer your question. I need to speak on the Dutch real quick because as someone with Dutch ancestry, I was so pissed at De Boer when when the Dutch got knocked out. Like I was screaming at my television. I had his tactical his tactical ideas were just so poor. So the Czech Republic beating the Dutch. It wasn't a surprise for me because, you know, I think every person who's rooting for the Netherlands saw it coming. Like, I'm I'm still fuming at that, but we I digress. Tell Austin and I both in the chat that we have going on the side just it's, hysterically oh my started God. laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, Alex. I really <laughs> am. But it is a little comical. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I'm glad DeBoer saved himself and resigned instead of him being sacked. But... I digress. I think Denmark, like you said, they've got the story, you know, they're going to do that for Christian Eriksen. I do expect them to get past the Czech Republic. As for England, um, yeah, I think Ukraine will put up a good fight, but I do think England has a clear path to the final, in my opinion. The only thing stopping them is Southgate and his his crazy... Oh boy, don't get me started on Gareth. It's just like, we should, yeah. He's just not a ta- the tactician that everyone thinks he is. Um, for Spain and Switzerland, I think Spain will get through. The Swiss did put up a really good job against the the, fr- the French. I'm laughing because there was an athletic article that dropped uh, recently where they basically laid out how uh, the French imploded, how they were complaining about everything, like the hotels. Adrian Rabiot's mom was just all over the place. So they were having some internal issues. So it's not surprising that the French fell that way. As for Belgium and Italy, it'll be a tough one, probably the most intriguing out of these four matchups. Uh, the Italians have been playing super well, and you know, depending on Hazard and De Bruyne's fitness levels, I, I do favor the Italians getting through. So it'll be a an Italian and a Spanish semifinal, and England and Denmark will be on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, I I, I really think that you guys are uh, undermining the uh, the this Denmark run. It is remarkable to me, not only after the Christian Eriksen thing, but after, remember, they had to play the remainder of that game and they lost to Finland 1-0 in that resumed match. And for them to come back with the fury that they have uh, is really inspiring. I think it's wonderful. Honestly, this is Italy's to lose, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the Italians are the overwhelming favorite. Um, I, I think I know Belgium, that Belgium, Belgium is going to give them a run for their money. I, I, I would agree that Italy for me are the favorites, but Belgium is going to be tough. Like that is, I think that that is Italy's That's final fair. for sure, but it's going to be tough. But it, but I mean, Italy has been by far the best team in this tournament. Well, didn't they go to extra time with Austria in the first round? But they, I mean, yes, they won, but that was yes, a little but, silly. I, okay, I I don't know. I I know that they've played really well, but I I do see them getting past Belgium. But I don't think it's necessarily their tournament to lose. I think that's giving them a little too much credit. But also, I still would pick them as a favorite. So I guess I'm. Is there, is there another team in this tournament you think is better than Italy? 
No, I don't think anybody's been better than them. No, but I think if England do get to the final and Italy and Italy are there, it's going to be a really good game that I think potentially England could win. Gosh, we're going to hear it's coming home for the next year until it's the coming <laughs> home. It's coming home. Oh it's coming. Gosh. Football's coming home. All right, when yeah, I start seeing that's American probably Idol or, or American Idol or, or podcast. I mean, come on, <laughs> like <laughs> I think I think you might have to switch uh, your ideas here and switch over to like America's Got Talent or something. Screw the Heron outlet. You you need to go see. Uh, oh, is it still Nick Cannon that does it? Oh gosh, I, I don't know. This this tells this tells you all my 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 knowings on pop culture and, and TV shows. I think when I start singing is about time for us to wrap it up here. So uh, <laughs> uh, this is the Heron Outlet. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at the Heron Outlet. I am Ian Hest. You can follow me at Ian Hest on Twitter. Austin is Austin. Do you want to give your handle? I'll let yes, you do it. I I am at Austin Robillard. Uh, keeping it simple but i know that alex doesn't keep it so simple so i'll let her tell you what her at is <laughs> yeah you guys can find me at aaw underscore 1998 on twitter we are the and outlet and that's why we call her young blood <laughs> this is the heron outlet please like share subscribe and sign up uh every single week uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Again, Inter Miami against Montreal Saturday, July uh, 3rd at 7.30. I think the game is uh, locally here, or you can catch it on the Inter Miami app, and then they'll be off for a couple weeks. But we will stay with you through the Gold Cup break and uh, continue having episodes every single week for you. And uh, yeah, have a good one. <laughs>